Hello and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Just remember to sign up for jasonpereira.ca to receive notification of all future podcasts, blog posts, and television appearances. Now today's show. Today I show you Matt Alston, co-founder of Surex. Surex is seeking to digitize the entire consumer experience around property and casualty insurance. They're an online digital broker that specifically caters to home, auto, and all various other forms of property and casualty. And with that, here's my interview with Matt. Hello, Matt. Hey, how are you doing, Jason? Great. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Thanks for uh, inviting me on the podcast. It's nice to have big fans on. All right. So, Matt Alston of Surex. Tell us about Surex. Uh, Surex is a, uh, we're a digital brokerage. We're operated across Canada. We're basically nationwide minus uh, Quebec and a couple of the provinces in Atlanta, Canada. We provide uh, a way, a transparent way for Canadians to be able to quote, compare prices, coverage, and buy online for home and auto insurance. Okay. So we're going to unpack everything you do shortly, but tell me about the history of Surex and why it came to be. Yeah, so back in 2011, um, I was actually running a company down in the States, a direct, a direct selling, a direct marketing company. I had a friend of mine who was a fellow entrepreneur. We both were raised in the same small town and uh, just started talking with him about insurance. He, he just recently purchased a uh, bricks and mortar insurance office. And over the, last, over the next you know, six to eight months talking, we realized there was a, a really big opportunity in the market. And so I actually ended up selling my, my company in the States. We partnered up and we launched uh, Surex 1.0, I guess we could call it. Um, we've changed a lot since then, but we launched our first site in August of 2012. And what was that exciting opportunity that you saw just waiting to be taken advantage of? Well, a big aspect of, of why I was looking and why... I, you know, I wanted to have a change in my life was um, I currently have four kids at the time. I had uh, three small children. I was born and raised in McGrath, Alberta. I'm actually a fifth generation from this town. And so I really wanted to raise my kids in the same environment and the same setting that I was. And so my wife and I, you know, made that commitment. And I saw insurance, you know, talking with Lance as an opportunity to build a scale of business and be able to create a national company, but still be able to do it on our terms and from where we want to, where we want to raise our kids. Yeah. So it's that interesting. Was a- you go there because like more often than not, historically insurance has been a product that's been geographic based, geographically based with local insurance agents. But really, I mean, there's nothing about this product that says that it has to be sold in the same town that you're in. You're exactly right. Yeah, we, it wasn't a geographic, we weren't geographically landlocked. That really got me excited because I didn't force us to think small. We could really have big dreams and, and big aspirations for what the company could become. Um, it's been a great asset of ours being located in a rural setting. Our employees are extremely loyal. Uh, we have very low turnover. We really do have a, a tight culture. People that work together are also, you know, their kids are playing on the same sports team or they're coaching or they're attending the same church, you know, so it's a, it definitely is a community feeling for sure. Excellent. So let's talk about uh, exactly what your app does. I mean, you go on, it's an online platform where I can go in and get quoted on what types of insurance. Uh, currently we support uh, primary homeowners, auto insurance, personal auto, a tenant and condo, and we're building out uh, landlord insurance. So basically covering uh, rental properties, boats, uh, motorcycles, and trailers, like travel trailers. Okay. So really focuses personal lines. So take me through this. So I go on as a, as a consumer and I hit your quote me button or start a quote button. What's the experience look like start to finish from the time I start to the time I get fully insured? 
So if you're quoting, say, one vehicle, one driver, it'll take you five minutes to complete your quote and get your offers. Depending on the province you're in, you'll get anywhere from six to 12 different offers for insurance. One thing that we do through our uh, tech that we've built is we we wanted to bring a human element. And so we actually assign every one of our quotes to a dedicated advisor, a licensed advisor, who then can answer questions, make sure that you know coverage is set right. But really, if somebody's ready to buy auto insurance and they log on there, five minutes to quote, maybe a five minute you know discussion or email with a with an advisor and then the purchase process would be you know four to six minutes after that you'd have proof of insurance so these are highly commoditized products right i mean this is this is one of the reasons why you're able to just uh, you know standardize a lot of this is sta- terminology standardized the benefits are standardized so you're able to just make it, well for most people the, the quote or the price is the final final say but there are nuances to these products is there a way you communicate that in your process that's been actually one of our really difficult challenges, right? Because you have you have competition that comes in the market that obviously has a lot of money. Sonnet is an example. They come to the market, they're owned by economical insurance, and they're a direct writer, right? We have TD Bank sales direct as, a, as their own product. And with us, because we have, you know, 10 plus different carriers, you know, our quote process naturally has to have extra questions because we're trying to maximize discounts with all 10 of our carriers. So there may be one discount that one carrier cares about that the other nine don't. If we eliminate that and and ignore that question, well, then we're not actually giving accuracy. So we take pride in how accurate our quotes are if the client, if the user is actually entering in accurate data. And we have a full, we have a full-time business analyst and a help desk support who basically 90% of their day is spent communicating back and forth with carriers, being ahead of the curve on changes they're making to make sure that our quarters have the updates in time and that we can maintain that. So one of the things we explain to our customers is look, like our quote may take a little bit longer than say a Sonnet or a TD insurance. However, you get 10 times the benefit because you're gonna get 10 different quotes, 10 different coverage options you can consider instead of you know just getting one offer and hoping that you buy that offer. Yeah, so I mean, good and bad there. The good is, is that you're able to offer a more diverse set of options. You're able to comparatively shop. But again, the nuances of these products, again, the problem is we all look at these things as car insurance, as car insurance, but no, there's different options that go into what you should be yes, doing. And there is a semblance of advice that has to be digitized as well. So that's not a small challenge. So how many companies are you quoting with again, roughly? We have contracts with 14 different carriers across Canada. So when you first approached them with this concept, what was the response? Were they eager to try to get into the online sphere laughing? This should be interesting. Right. So what happened? Well, at first, like I was newly licensed, new in the industry. I went to an industry association meeting, an Alberta broker council, like a conference, right? Uh And all the CEOs of the companies were on the stage and they're all talking about brokers have to adapt. We have to compete with the direct writers. We have to change, we have to change, right? And so- But we don't want to, but but I don't want to change personally. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You need to do all the change. The brokers forget me changing. Yes, exactly. And that's been very difficult to navigate where we approach companies and we say, look, here's our problem. Here's a solution. This is why it needs to be done this way. And just A, getting them to understand it and B, going up the chain of command until they make a decision nine months later, you know, about some questionnaire that isn't even relevant now that well, we've done this for 30 years it's just been one so what <laughs> like you know you swing a golf club the wrong way for 30 years it's still being swung the wrong way <laughs> exactly yep and i think that's the challenge to the canadian market and specifically with insuretech is as a distributor being on the distribution side and trying to create intelligent distribution we can only 
progress as, as fast as our carriers are willing to. And it's getting better. It's getting significantly better than it was at the beginning. Some carriers are upgraded huge investments to their backend system that's you know creating APIs, being able to automate a lot of the, the data exchange that we used to have to do manually as a broker. So it is getting a little bit better, but not where we want it. Yeah. So, I mean, I have so many questions about that entire process. This is so amusing. So what was, you know, let's, let's contrast this. The, the, the company that embraced it the most, what was that experience like? It was fantastic. I mean, one of the carriers early on that embraced it and, and understood what we were trying to do. Unfortunately, I never thought it would get to the point where they would come to us and say, look, sure, actually, we can't grow as fast as you guys are growing. Like we were doing 30% of their volume provincially. So that was really interesting how our growth was actually looked at at the beginning as a positive thing, but then, you know, a year into it looked at as a negative thing. Like you're growing too fast, right? Loss ratios can't keep up with the growth. And that, that's been a frustrating thing is us being limited by our carrier's ability to keep up. I cannot. Oh, oh, wow. I'm sitting here like, let me get this straight. You basically give them every business's dream. Here's more, you know, we're going to, we're going to start just giving you tons more business and like that. No, no, stop, stop, stop. It's too much. It's It's too much. That doesn't speak to a scaling capacity problem. Some of these companies, I don't know what does. All right. So that was... (laughs) 30 percent all right so you have the early adopters who basically start dying of digestion and what happened to the rest of them what was the like what was the on the opposite of the spectrum where you got massive resistance tell me about the win the one that basically gave you resistance but you managed to convert them in the end yeah i mean that situation forced us to kind of retool we were able to bring on another four carriers and yeah. so we, as we added more carriers, we were be able, we were able to distribute the volume to more carriers. And so hold on, hold on. the solution was, I'm going to give business to your competitors. This is fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Keep yeah. moving. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what happened. So we went from maybe four carriers to six to eight to 10 fairly quickly, you know, within the first few years. Another thing that was really interesting for me being an outsider into insurance was you know, I don't have any, I don't have any say on the product. Product and pricing is done by the carriers. And so I expect them to get that right. And it was just amazing over time to see how different rules were put in, or we don't want this business because it's not priced right. Or a company will say, yeah, our actuaries are the best. And so we're priced for what we want. And then you look a year later and another carrier that you gave all that business to that, you know, carrier A didn't want, carrier B just made a lot of money on their revenue, right? Because they were actually good customers. So it's just a, for me, it was an eye opener on the differences in the actuaries and the managing the portfolios of what the carriers say they want. And, you know, I've come to the conclusion that I, I'm not really confident that everybody really knows what they're doing, right? I, <laughs> actuary, what a novel, what a novel uh, assumption. Yep. However, I think, I think that's one of the big opportunities in our industry, though, is, is machine learning and AI, I think, is really going to be used more on the pricing and the actuary side. In our but, but in all honesty, let's be, let's be truthful here. If these companies really, a lot of these companies, I'm not trying to beat up, beat up on all of them because I know there's, there's fantastic ones out there, really did know what they were doing to the degree they believed, then they would be that much better at bringing in business and wouldn't need you, right? But meanwhile, that's not what's actually happened, right? Someone like you comes along, unlocks the quote unquote magic of the internet, and suddenly it's, it's, it's a freaking fire hose they can't drink from. So there's a powerful message there in that, you know, we'll hit, you may think you're good in the old paradigm where you have to exist within this small bubble and maybe you're king of the community. That doesn't mean anything in the modern world. It's true. It exposed not just their pricing, it exposed process. It showed yep. which markets had a fantastic 
back office process so we could get policies issued, we get endorsements done quicker, and which ones we were waiting 90 days for the policy to get issued because underwriters hadn't got to the new business that we've sent in. You know, that was a problem of customers calling us being like, I bought an insurance policy from you 60 days ago. Where's my paperwork? Right. And mm-hmm. and us being frustrated because we can't control the experience of, you know, actually issuing the policies and the underwriting with certain carriers. Other carriers have been fantastic. So you've digitized the front end for them to some degree, but on a, on a market basis, which is more, which is better than just being a single point of sale. How much are you seeing them digitize their systems to actually deal with the, not just your influx of business, but the, the quote unquote need to change and challenges that they're all facing? I mean, I would grade the industry, not every carrier, but I would still grade the industry as a whole as maybe a C. <laughs> Are you being there's, kind? You don't have to be kind on this show. <laughs> there's, <laughs> yeah. there's data sets that aren't, still aren't standard in our industry. There's associations built that are, are, are supposed to solve that problem where carriers don't actually want to play nice in the sandbox and they want to kind of keep things close to their chest. And uh, it makes it really difficult to be able to uh, build automation and, and build consistency. There's also seems to be a little bit of a copycat mentality too. You know, one carrier will start making a change on rules, underwriting rules, and other carriers will call us up and say, did you hear about this company? Well, why are they doing it? And I'm like, I, I don't know. And then they say, well, if they're doing it, we need to do it. Right. And so it's almost like sometimes carriers try to one up each other because they don't want to be selected against. And they're almost scared of being selected against in the broker space because they're worried, well, if I do this, then all the brokers are going to start giving me the business. So I'm going to copy them. And that's kind of what we've dealt with the last few years, especially in a hard market or a market where it's, it's harder to make money. The carriers, they're forced to be a lot more aggressive with copying. There's two interesting points there. First off is that this is not exactly the fattest margin business, right? Like this no. is, you know, so so frankly, if there's ever an industry that needs to automate and digitize within, to the nth degree, it is the PNC business, right? Because that's the only way you're going to squeeze massive margins out of this is, is by, or, or market share grabs is by basically reducing the total cost of deploy. The second piece of it is what's happened here that's clearly going on with, with what you're doing with them is that you've exposed them to the, to the modern reality, to the modern world, and they weren't ready for it, right? And they're, they're now, when a paradigm changes and suddenly everybody has to compete on a different set of, different set of rules, yeah, I'm, I'm sure a lot of these guys are basically, you know, they sign up with you, they get a big, big influx, they hear something, they see something happen, and then they're scrambling. They're going to be scrambling. In fact, they're going to get, they're going to have to get used to scrambling because that's the world we live in now. Yeah, it's true. And, it, and our margins, their margins are, you know, on the broker side, our margins are even are even smaller. And that's why we've invested so heavily in automation. We've been able to build out a an AI platform called Athena. And now 30% of our back office transactions are automated. You know, we're trying to build that out to get it to 85, 90% over the next year. But we have to realize that the industry is changing. And as, you know, as there's downward pressure on commissions, as there's consolidation in the broker space, and they're getting bigger and bigger conglomerates that are being created, at Surex, we need to be able to compete and we'll be able to do more with less. And really that's what's one of our core values. And so automation and using AI to remove some of those mundane tasks and get our advisors and our staff to focus on, you know, what's important and building those relationships and increasing retention. I think we'll, that's the only way we're going to be able to compete long-term. Yeah. And to those advisors who aren't thinking along the lines that you guys are, I mean, it's, you know, right now you guys are still building stuff, right? And other players such as yourself are doing something similar. 
but the long run play is that you guys build enough and and basically start to profit to a much larger degree than the average broker does. And then you try to use that pricing power to capture more business, right? I mean, that's it. It's going to be, well, you know what? You're bringing, for every dollar you're bringing in, you're getting to keep 10. We get to keep 30. So maybe if we just cut ours down to 20, we could basically push you out of the market, right? That's that's the kind of content. That's just, that's just capitalism. That's what's going to happen. And that's what's going to happen if people just don't learn to evolve. Yeah, so, bring, uh, and also not just compete on price, but value. We, you know, we are trying, you know, one of my favorite sayings is, you know, only the paranoid survive, right? We're paranoid about what's coming and what disruption could happen. And so we're trying to build our own disruptive tools. We're, we're building some, some AI into our renewal process where, you know, we will be the first to do this. And I don't know anyone outside of North America, but for sure, no one in North America is doing this where as a SureX client, you are going to have your renewals monitored by AI and we're going to be proactive with reaching out to you and engaging you when a good time would be to switch carriers proactively. So if you're with say intact insurance and the market shifts or your, your underwriting data points change, you move your credit increases, you, you, you add a 16 year old driver, whatever it is, four years later, we may be contacting you saying, look, probably good to go over to travelers because you'll save $600. Right, right now, brokers don't. Brokers are order takers. You, uh-huh. you, order, you take the order, you put it in there, and you really don't look at it unless the customer gets upset about the price. And in today's world, usually you find out after they've already left you. Right. So those are the types of things we're trying to build to add value that the direct writers can't offer. We can't compete with the direct writers on efficiency yet, price that can always undercut us. But customer proposition, the fact that Jason signs up with SureX. You're going to get not only 10 offers, but you're going to get monitored every single year on renewal. I hope we'll build some credibility and some trust. Ironically, what you're building here is an efficient marketplace, right? Like, unfortunately, the marketplace is very inefficient and often complexity is complexity and friction are the ways in which it likes likes to remain and, and basically create margins for itself. But what you're, what you're talking about here is the ability to create, create sufficient, like I said, efficiencies here that create an efficient market. And what's interesting, too, is that I wonder if there's going to be a feedback mechanism with this. If you gain, if guys like you gain sufficient scale, the insurance companies will know that they can't start playing with these games with the, with the pricing because they know that that block will disappear overnight, right? So that leads us to, you know, leads us away from the cycle of under, you know, let's underprice to capture market share and then we'll squeeze them later, right? And, and then basically see how many we retain. Like that, that could be a thing of the past in the future. Jason, we quoted a customer last week that was with an insurance carrier. I won't say their name. Been with us for four years, looked at the renewal, we re-quoted it. The same carrier she's already with, $600 cheaper. The we same carrier. The, same carrier. We called up the company and said, what's going on? They said, cancel and rewrite it with us. So there's- Why right there, would the client have to go through that trouble? To save money. No, no, but like it's you. You're getting the the same company is taking the check from your account. Exactly. Like, and they they basically said, well, the only way we're going to do that is if you basically the only way we're going to make you happy on pricing is if you basically do some nonsensical paperwork with us. You got it. This is the type of things that are still relevant in our industry. And and our advisor came to me and talked to me about it, and I said, really? Like, we can't just adjust the renewal. They said, no, they're. The new business quoting algorithm or the new business, maybe it was based on credit score change or whatever, was $600 cheaper. And so the underwriter literally had no way of giving that customer the new business rate on renewal besides canceling and reissuing a new policy. And that's what we had to do. What a surprise. They built the experience around the product, not the customer. 
Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Could, it's it's exactly. like, you know, anyway, I just, the only thing I could say is I sincerely hope that that is a very old legacy system. Cause if not, there is just no excuse for that sort of, sort of coding. And I, I can tell you it's one of the biggest carriers in Canada. It's not a legacy system issue. Uh, so it's not a legacy system issue. It's a legacy people issue, quite honestly, because the, the mindset, you know, it's interesting is I, you know, for the new buzzword around the industry for years, and it's, it's, it seems to be dying off a little bit was customer centric. The number of times I heard people say customer centric in a meeting, I wanted to throw up uh, <laughs> because when you question them is what that means, they, you know, none of them have, you know, just focus on the customer. I'm like, that's nice words. Like, please tell me how, like, we need to figure that out. I'm like, yeah. So you're, you're telling me that you've never focused on a customer before. And now you think it's the time. Well, the time was when you started. That goes besides the point. That's beside the point. So it's interesting. I mean, so the, uh, tell me more about the artificial intelligence. So you're basically, you're using it to automate your systems. You're using it to automate the renewal process to better the experience for the consumer. What else do you have your sights set on with that? And that's, and that's another thing, you know, when you talk about customer centric buzzwords, you know, AI is the big buzzword. And I actually, when I do interviews or talk to people, you know, we're in meetings with insurance carriers, I even hesitate to say the word AI because I don't want to come across like, Oh yeah, sure. Everyone says AI, right? So yep. you know, we, hired, we hired a data scientist. We, you know, we wanted to isolate and figure out what machine learning could do for our business and actually have a strategy, not just, Oh, we're doing AI. And you know, like my business partner always says, technology isn't a strategy. Like technology can solve problems and your, your strategy is what problem you're going to solve. And so we saw as we scale our back office, you know, support teams, the, our audit process, handling documents from carriers because to be honest, some carriers still mail us documents on customers, right? We got to digitize that and get it, get that mm -hmm. communication with clients. And so what we built was a system called Athena and Athena essentially handles incoming data download and regular, you know, paper that comes into the office, uh, streamlines the process for our audit team, isolates what could be E&O risks, automates the emails to the advisor saying, look, this policy came in. Athena's predicting that this could have a, a gap in coverage you may want to look at. And so we've been able to save ourselves and we've been able to be proactive on E&O issues, but we've also been able to save labor costs mm -hmm. and we built it out. 30% is where it's at now. We want to hire another resource and really strive to get that up to 85, 90% in the next year. And that's going to really help us compete with the, the big boys in the market that have way more money. You know, the direct writers can outspend us, but we really are confident that our customer proposition in the end is going to win because they can't offer the consumer base what we can offer, right? And so that's one aspect of using Athena and AI in our, in our system. Another aspect is we wanted to really figure out, especially in a hard market we're experiencing in Western Canada, there's limitations on, on business that we can sell. And so we're trying to optimize our lead flow and how we handle our sales pipeline. So if we have you know, thousands of leads coming in, should we just give our advisors them one by one and let them just randomly call? Or can we actually isolate and predict which of those leads are higher quality so mm -hmm. we can spend our time and our response time can increase on, say, the five-star people and maybe the people that the carriers don't really want? We may not call them for two hours, right? But we really want to focus our efforts on the higher quality business first. And so we're building a lead scoring algorithm that we're going to be implementing here in the next uh, four to five months. That's going to hopefully just create efficiencies within our, our ad spend 
and lower our acquisition costs. Well, I mean, you're, you're talking the right language. You're talking, you're spending money on efficiencies. You're spending money on trying to find ways to lower your ads, your ad costs and target people more effectively. You're talking top of the funnel, mid funnel, and then the end result is trying to get those people back into the funnel. So you're tackling it the right way. So tell me about the insurance companies who've, who've declined to deal with you. What's What's been their biggest holdback and why? Most of the carriers that we've approached have actually come on board and and you know they all have different appetites and so we work we work with that there's a few carriers that we've you know been chasing that haven't even returned a phone call or an email and for like three years straight and i think a little bit of it is that they just have the assumption that oh that company out west is growing they must be just focused on sales and and not quality or or maybe they're you know they have a bad taste in their mouth because there has there has been agencies there has been brokerages in the industry that have had sales reps that are paid commission that go out and just sell anything right and that's obviously not our our motivation we we're building a company that's going to be sustainable and and we're you know we care about our partnerships and and making sure that they're happy and we're happy because it is a partner it can't it can't be one way we're we're trying to shift away of distribution. We don't want our carriers to view Surex as distribution. We want them to view us as intelligent distribution. Everybody can distribute with online. All these carriers can go out and create direct writers. Um, it's not hard to get business. Yeah, but then there's just Thousand. noise, right? Like the, none of them's going to capture sufficient market share. Like this is, and this is the problem. One problem I have with direct distribution is that, okay, so congratulations. You've managed to create the one thing that's really good for selling your product, but you're not the only, anyone who knows anything about product knows that they don't want to just go one place, right? They want to basically pick the, what's best for that specific solution, right? My big gripe on this has always been, for example, how uh, on the life and health side, the insurance carriers will not integrate into one common application platform because, and I've, I've met people tell me like well this isn't this makes no sense you know i may want to buy di from this company life from this company ci from that company and you know like well it's just easier if you apply for with us right like that's that's the entire apply for all three with us that's not how you win business right that's that's how you you piss me off and frankly congratulations let's just say every every pnc carrier in the country comes with an awesome online experience for selling their product great now you're all in competition guess what just happened to the google adwords spend on all of those words right you would have been better off slotting into a into a marketplace and competing on quality and price than you would have trying to just basically be the number one direct distributor when everybody's direct distributor. You're exactly right. Our advisors that work at Surex, we don't just sell on price. They'll have experiences with a carrier that have done a really good job on their claims with their clients. And we'll be completely upfront with that. You know, we'll do a quote for a client that'll be like, oh, look at this carrier. They're the cheapest. And then we'll have advisors say, they're the cheapest, but I've had really bad claims experience the last year and a half with them. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what about this company? And people are willing. I mean, as long as it's competitively priced, obviously insurance price is the number one factor. But if you're competitively priced, somebody will spend $80 more a year to go with a company because they have a history with us and we know that their claims experience has been fantastic or another carrier because look if you have a claim with these guys and it's under 1500 bucks they're actually not going to rate uh, rate it against you and jack up your premiums or the other yeah. carrier so there's yeah. no the thing is, you know, I think the mistake is thinking in too often the mistake is thinking that we're all a homogenous group right the great thing about the internet is that it allows us to build you know very small specialized niches around very small very about around groups that would have otherwise not been fully profitable so is there a group who's willing to pay the premium for a carrier I will not name that basically just does it because the reputation is they will pay on claim full stop right like then yeah Frankly, there's one people who are absolutely willing to pay a premium because they want to make sure that when the day happens, they're not going to get argued, not going to get messed around with, right? It's 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 got to happen. Yeah. 
So before we wrap up, just the three questions I ask everybody. First one being, what is the one wish you had for something you can change in your business or the industry as a whole? Oh, that's a good question. I go back and forth thinking it's a good thing that's so difficult to do what we're doing because if it was easy, everyone would do it. Maybe that's an advantage. <laughs> but I think overall, just collaboration. You know, the insurance carriers are really paranoid and they can't, they don't want to be accused of working really close with other carriers and colluding. And so I just feel like collaboration, specifically on the digital side with the data sets and the standards and really holding each other accountable to those standards is something I wish would change within our industry. I think having that would produce more innovation in our company. I mean, the market's so massive. There could be 50 Surexes in, in Canada and we'd barely put a dent in the, in the market. So, you know, yeah. I tend to be a, the, you know, I, I'm not a scarce, I don't have scarcity mentality. I'm not scared of competition. I really wish that we'd have better collaboration and that we could have more brokers that are doing, you know, willing and able to do what we're doing. And I think everybody would be better off. Yeah, unfortunately, the um, people not adhering to proper data standards as a means of trying to get whatever one leg up on the competition is a common story we hear on this podcast. And again, there's certain things that get said in this podcast that more or less almost become themes. And, and one of them is friction is not a way to, to keep your business. Friction is a way to piss me off, piss off your customer and basically get them to go elsewhere. I mean, I would, you know, great, great that, you know, some of these companies have great online single experiences. But I get to go to you and I'm like, oh, you're, you're quoting nine different companies for me. All right. And oh, look, you know, half of those are under what this other guy quoted. So uh, maybe all the advertising dollars are spending on commercials with various, with various mascots is not the way to go. But yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's, you know, stop fighting the inevitable and start making it easier for people to say yes to you as opposed to just try to do it directly solely or, or playing, a, playing the game in an unfair way. Because you're right, with proper data sharing, all that, it just sets off it just sets off a potential exponential growth in, in the number of things that guys like you who are sharp can basically put into place. So second question, what's been the biggest challenge in getting to where you are today? Oh man, I often wonder if I look back eight years ago and had to do it. I mean, I've been, it's, we've been on a wild ride, right? We have yep. 180 staff. We're over hundred million in, in active premium. Now we're, we're growing 50% a year. It's great. But I often look back and I think entrepreneurs in general think, man, if I do that over again, could I like what you would you know what you don't know absolutely yeah and so I have a little bit of a imposter syndrome I don't have a background in technology I don't have a college degree I'm a college dropout right and so sometimes I think to myself as an entrepreneur man I wish I was smarter I wish I had more background in this stuff but then at the same time I think being naive has helped me get to where we are you know Lance is the same thing my business partner he's a college dropout we're both just super gritty and we don't care if someone says no you can't do that or no we're not going to offer you know insurance you guys are risky you know we're just problem solvers and we'll just figure it out and we're at the point now where we get bad news and it's like of course like of course that happened like we don't even get upset anymore like we used to so I think I don't really think there's anything I would want to make it easier because I think because it's been so hard we are where we are I think if it was easier from the beginning Surex actually wouldn't be in the position we are now to to, uh, you know, have a super positive outlook for our future. I don't know if that, that really answers your question because... No, it, it does. I mean, it's, it's uh, anyone who's an entrepreneur listening to this can completely relate and ask, you know, is, I mean, there's any number of moments where you ask yourselves, why the heck did I bother, right? Like it's, it's, it's never, it's definitely not the easy path. And your, your comment about, uh, which I love, about the uh, essentially you know, naivety and brazenness kind of being combined there, like it's, 
you need that. You need a little bit of that because if you knew everything that was standing against you before you started, you would never start, right? You would absolutely not. So there's, a, there's a bit of there's a bit of uh, brazenness that's uh, and hubris that goes into any any adventure. So uh, I commend you on it. So uh, the last question I ask is, what's the thing that excites you the most about getting up and getting to work every day and keeps you going to do what it is what you're doing? I think we have a fantastic team and the things that we want to accomplish in the industry and there's a disruption we feel we're going to be able to produce in the next two to three years is just about execution. So what makes me excited is knowing it's not a matter of if this will work or can we find the people to do it? It's just execution. And as long as I'm willing to work hard, as long as Lance and I are willing to execute, that's what's so exciting is for once I feel like it's not a test or it's not a pilot. It's, it's literally proof. We've proven ourselves. Mm-hmm. And if we just focus on executing, the sky's the limit. Fantastic. And that's, well, that's what makes me excited. I wish you nothing but the best in making that happen. So, Matt, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, we beat up more on the uh, untraditional carriers than we, know, than we normally do. But uh, frankly, uh, again, I hope the more they embrace an open market type system like yourself and multiple plays like that, the happier I think, or the better off I think all Canadians will be. So keep it up. Thanks. Appreciate it. So that was my interview with Matt of Shurex. I hope you enjoyed that. We did, as usual, beat up on incumbents and the failure to see the future, but uh, things are slowly moving along and he is encouraging so am I. So until next time, as always, take care. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever is eat your podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.